Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. Join Scott Jones and Bill Bohr for an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics. Funny, contentious, outrageous, there's something for everyone. And now, your hosts. Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Uh, Here we are, back in the saddle again. We are actually in the same state right now, in different it's places. Unbelievable. the same state. So back in the saddle again. Yeah, I'm in actually in the uh, middle so, of a storm. So, anyway, and maybe I will be in the storm soon. <laughs> I don't know which way the wind will blow. Like, I don't the, know. like the spirit, we know we do not know. We do not know. Or we neither of us uh, have any expertise in meteorology. We, we know a little bit about a lot. I would have loved to have been a weather guy. I would think I would have done very well at that. I think like, you would have been. Like, I, and I think it's fascinating. Yeah. It's just neither of us have. I, I met the guy. Who is the guy, the short guy in Philly with the bow ties? I met oh, him at a party uh, once. Schwartz, um, Hurricane Schwartz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice guy. I mean, I, 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 way, I, really, okay, I, I have, to, I've got to ask you now, again. This is very localized, but I'm trying to imagine what kind of party he would be at. He doesn't strike me as a party guy. I mean, I, he strikes me as a very nice guy, but party does not. Par, it, it party and Hurricane so Schwartz kind of do event. not come together for me. It was a friend of mine from high school. All right. Um, she and I um, have remained friends. And Good. she asked if I would be a kind of a date to the party with uh, her. We're just friends. Wasn't she wasn't a Satan. Anything, She's but, not the um, Satan worshiper, right? No, 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 not the Satan worshiper. Um, <laughs> um, love, and so I forget, it was some kind of meet. She's a meeting planner. And I think it was a meeting plan. I don't know. Uh, I don't good. know why he was there, but. We we met and he seemed like a very nice guy. He seems like he knows um, what he's talking about. He's kind of a you know. I I mean the weather people are often the um, how do I want to say this in a way that doesn't sound well. You know, there's always a person who seems to get a job as a weather person based on how they look, not necessarily what they know. Now maybe they know something too, but that t- tends to be. It seems to me that tends to be a position where they try to angle a certain viewership am i am i being clear or am i being vague enough here yeah i i I think no i think i think it is oftentimes um you know it is a kind of they go for glamour and glitz um but some i don't know how i know this but somebody it might have been through the podcast one of the podcasts or something but i remember someone telling me that the way they predict the weather is they basically um slant um they slant weather in such such that like so basically um you want to be right about you 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 don't want to predict good weather and not go good it's better to predict bad weather so like if somebody's having a bridal shower or wedding outside it's better to err on the side of the bad weather. And then when you're right, they're not mad. Or, or when you're wrong, it, it, or if you're wrong, they're not mad. But if you predict good weather and, it's, and it turns out rainy or something, then people get mad. And so yeah. they skew the results. I mean, they, they do skew um, the uh, yeah, forecast I, yeah, I like those, for their own ends. I like those action weather teams who like go out and, for instance, if uh, it's snowing... They walk out and to the street where 
cars may be going sideways and pick up snow and say, here's snow. It looks like there's about three inches out here. That seems, yeah, that helps me. I also, <laughs> during, was it Hurricane Sandy? People kept w- walking out into the flood saying it's, 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 there's a lot of water here. So that, that too was helpful for me. <laughs> you and I would have been great as weather people, I think. I, I think we could have done it, quite frankly. I, I think we would have been good. Are we having trouble with our connection? No, no, no. I hear you. I hear you. Were you were, were you paused? Were we? Everybody, Bill is out in the upstate of New York, and so he's. Um, oh, I think we are having trouble with your connection. Are you back? Yeah, yeah. I hear you now, or I see. Do you, you hear me? I, I. It's. Uh, are are yeah. we having? It's. I just got a message that my we have an unstable connection. Which would be a, a good definition of our relationship. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this is very true. Um, so, uh, yeah, you do have, you, you have one-fifth network connectivity. So 20%. Should I, um, uh, should I try to do this on my, should I use my cell phone as a hotspot? Should I try to do that? We could do that. You want to yeah. try it? Let me see if that works. You want to start over? Yeah, let me see if that or works. Or are just going to switch over? I'm going to switch over. And this could be like see if we could, can do it. Like kids could use it. it kids might. could use this at home. Yeah, people could use this as a project. Um, they could say, "Look, this is how you do this when this goes bad. You just become a hotspot." Exactly. We're doing it midstream. Midstream. Is, we're not going to stop the broadcast. No, because this yet. is important stuff. Not we're yet. considering it. We're considering it. Yeah, we might have to start over. But we might have to start over. You could. We could lose. We could. We could lose you. It's very right. Difficult. Well, I'm. Um, yeah, I know it's it's kind of a well. There's a storm, and 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 where I'm at is the the um, Wi-Fi is not it's not awesome. By the way, underrated Billy Joel album, Stormfront. Oh my goodness! You know, I I'm just not a Billy Joel fan whatsoever. And I think it's a great album. Stormfront. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, that, I think I, I like every Billy Joel album ever made. I think I deeply offended somebody one time by saying, they, "He's just you know one of those you get one of those conversations where they say, okay, well, who do you think? Tell me somebody you think's underrated. What's a really underrated, uh, really underrated or overrated musician? And Billy Joel is my always my, uh, it's always my first one to go to." <laughs> Oh, you think he's overrated? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I, I think Billy Joel is is pretty. I mean, I think he's he's not Springsteen level or something like that. I mean, he's not Dylan level. He's a kind of, and also he's a pop rock guy. I mean, he, you know, he came about in an era that was not the deepest. There are era, there right? are a couple. Of, yeah, the, well, there are a couple of his albums I really like. I, I mean, I like the, um, I like that one where. Um, well, I like I like the early one, the one with uh, Italian Cafe and all that, uh, and, our, and the only the good die young. We used to sing that song. I had a friend whose name was Virginia, and she was happened to be a Catholic girl, and we loved singing that song to her. So. See you, see you. This is it's is the strong part part of Billy Joel. I mean, it's a, it's a tradition, and no, like I, all I, traditions. Yeah, I like that. There there are high points and low points, and. Uh, <laughs> Right. So, by the way, so so to segue into our topic, uh, I have spent so much time on Clubhouse lately, and Bill, I've even gotten Bill 
to come up in the club. Um, and he met one of my rabbi friends. Yeah, I like I met the rabbi uh, friend, and then I met the guy who looks like to me that he could be a QAnon person. The guy from Montana. Oh, 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 oh they're, they're all over the, the yeah, he, they're all over the place. And we should start a new persuasive words club because we could just, um, it'd be fun because we could bring our listeners in to just hang out with us once in a while and just, you know, um, you know, talk with us together, which yeah. is something we don't often do. Um, so we'll, we'll, I'll get on that and start a new persuasive words club and we could, you know, you could pick our brains and we can pick your brains. We'd love to do that. But, yes. um, I started a room. I think Sunday and the title was 1776 should we have fought the war for independence and you know I was just sitting there thinking about the 4th of July and and thinking it's an interesting thought experiment because if you look at our quieter neighbor to the north Canada right um, they they have become a very functional nation state Oh, um, no. it, not uh, quite the same kind of world power that the United States are, but like is, but like it's a, it's a major industrialized nation that got its independence without any bellicosity. I mean, that without any sort of, um, you know, it was a kind of gradual thing. In fact, a Canadian friend was explaining some of the decisions, which I think were made in the 20th century, where the queen just said she was going to appoint her governor general, which had been the monarchical representative. And the Canadians just said, no, thanks. Um, we're going to appoint them. Canada, <laughs> and they would just Canada is like the character Chad. Subtle moves. Canada is like the character Chad from Saturday Night Live. No, thanks. Yeah. Hey, no, thanks. Well, uh, no, thanks. Steve Rowe, one of our listeners, is Canadian and uh, who uh, offered me sanctuary uh, during the Trump years, which I seriously thought about taking. But uh, he sent, uh, I don't know if you're Facebook friends with him, but he sent out the... Uh, the King George number from Hamilton. <laughs> that was his wish for July 4th, which was great. Well, you know, another interesting thing is, and I, I think people don't fully, well, first of all, people don't know history, but the, the Revolutionary War in uh, New Jersey and South Carolina uh, was a vicious civil war. I mean, if you've ever watched uh, Mel Gibson's The Patriot, I mean, again, you always have to take Mel Gibson's interpretation of events with a grain of salt, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but that actually is pretty accurate. I mean, the character is roughly based on Francis Marion, and there was the you know there was it was a it was such a vicious family against family civil war you know in South Carolina. I heard a military historian one time said that he thought that there was a direct relationship between the way South Carolina was uh, at the dawn of the Civil War uh, based on the kind of way they came out of the Revolutionary War. It was so bitter that there was a, there was a small group of air, aristocracy that said, hey, we can't let this happen again. But that, that small group is part of what, um, I mean, I think the Civil War was going to happen, but South Carolina was a big part of it. And you know, we still have, you know, wildcat fighters from South Carolina even today. Um, our good friend Lindsey Graham, you know, just epitomizes a profile in courage, you know, right there. <laughs> our good friend, friend of the show. Friend of the friend show. Friend of the show. Uh, yeah, now, 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 I think, so my thought experiment, and, and it was an interesting clubhouse room. Some folks came in and kind of hijacked it with identity politics stuff, Um and again, not that um, race and questions of indigenous people shouldn't be a, a really serious part of that conversation, but it just kind of was, they were like, this is just a silly thing to even entertain. But 
but before that happened, it was a really interesting thought experiment. And um, I have a friend, Roy Field, who I think you met on Clubhouse, who made some astounding points um, just around... Um, one of his points was, had we not fought the war, maybe France wouldn't have given us the Louisiana Purchase. Because part of Napoleon's kind of move there is we're antagonists to the crown, right? So it, 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 it's beneficial um, to, to for, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. And uh, I, it just is an interesting question. Would we have, let's say we didn't fight the war, would we have become a world power without fighting as many wars? I mean, without all the people that died in the revolution, all the people that died in the civil war, maybe. I mean, maybe we'd, we would have averted the civil war. And would we be would we be a kind of independent power like Canada, like Australia, with, with probably, you know, a, a military strength and, and so many natural resources and stuff, and it's a big country. But could we have become a sort of great world power country, you know, force in the world without the bellicosity. Yeah. Could we have done it without a revolution? Yeah. I think the other interesting thing too, I think about that is um, the theological justification for the revolution. I mean, it's an interesting thing to think of, to do that as a thought experiment, but particular, we, uh, a number of people, uh, I reposted it, shared a recent survey among American evangelicals and our friend Adam Adam Morton said he thought it'd probably be the same for mainline folks is the vast majority of Christians in this country um, this was evangelicals but I think it'd be the same for mainline folks um, their allegiance to their to Christian their allegiance to their faith and allegiance to the country is of equal importance to them and uh, that to me, and it was it was only Asians that said their allegiance to their faith was more right, right. It, to me, it, yeah, they did different demographics. To me, um, if that first of all speaks to a horrendous failure on the part of generations of church leaders to to, to teach differently, um, it also is the fact that people there are there are things we say that people don't care. I, I mean, I've always spoken out that that's not the case and. And, you know, part of that came from, frankly, that came from being taught by evangelicals as fundamentalists, you know, in terms of, the, you know, to take what the Bible says seriously. And, um, you know, we render unto God what belongs but, to God. But you were reared, you were reared, though, in a different kind of evangelicalism. I mean, this is before the nationalism of evangelicalism. And all those people that I was around uh, have, have almost to a person bought into the nationalism. But the foundation was such that I took the Bible seriously. And so I, the interesting question is that um, based on, I mean, based on Romans 13, okay, uh, you, uh, you could hardly argue. Pay your taxes. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, you can har- but you can hardly argue that we were in a Revelation 13 situation with King George III. I mean, he had his problems and such, but... Uh, yeah, part of the problem, remember, I mean, the, the te- and also it was the parliament too. King George was not dictating the policy. It was a parliamentary democracy. I mean, it was, you know, the parliament, like I, I think it was well, Prime Minister North or whatever, well, was, who was, was at a, the time. Yeah, it was a, what a monarchical, monarchy. what they call this, monarchical democracy. Constitutional monarchy. Constitutional yeah. monarchy. Well, the other thing too is, I mean, that, that debt had gotten incurred, um, 
partially because of the of the of the French and Indian War. We call it the French and Indian War here, the Seven Year War. You know, the other thing that's ironic, um, you know, uh, I was just I just listened to a, a fascinating podcast. It was the anniversary of Waterloo. And, you know, in, a wa- in, in the Battle of Waterloo, the British are the good guys. <laughs> At the same time, they're, bur- they're burning down Washington <laughs> during the War of 1812. So it's, it's just a fascinating thing. I think, you know, I... Well, I and, and, you know, it's funny because Dolly, Dolly Madison had set dinner and for a dinner party of like 40 people or something. And so they, before they torched the White House, the officers sat down and ate the dinner. So the food didn't go to waste. That's good. That's good. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, my, yeah. Waste not want not, I, mean, I, I jumped say. to the next war, but I, I, but the whole thing is, I, I think it's, it's always interesting to me. First of all, the, yeah, I just did two, uh, I'll do a plug for my own stuff. If you go to resident exile, I did a two week series on founding faith in fiction. Cause, uh, somebody in my church asked me to do this and I, they probably regret that they asked me to do it, but I did it. And this whole idea of, the complicated relationship between the founding of our country, um, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and Christian principles. I mean, I, I, I think those who it certainly is was not a Christian country in its founding. It certainly also was deeply influenced by the, eth- the ethos of the the kind of individual. Liberty talk of the post first great awakening, the idea there was of individual liberty. I mean, it's, it's all kind of in the air. So, I mean, you do have someone like James Madison and who was it, Bacchus? Who was the founder of the, the, the Baptists? Was it Bacchus was his first name? They're both strong advocates for the separation of church and state. Madison, because of his distrust of, of clergy and, 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 his disdain for the state, a state religion, and the Baptists because they were being treated as second-class citizens in New England. So, um, so I, I think there's a sense where there's a complicated kind of relationship between the faith and the founding of our country. But it seems to me that the same people who tend to argue that America, of course, it's interesting now that the, the Trumpers, since you know, I mean, people, all these people supported Trump, and then he doesn't get elected again. Some of those same people, have, you know, the, the 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 presence of conspiracy theory among certain Christian segments is pretty pretty profound. But nonetheless, I think it's a fascinating story to think about the idea that the people who call us to, you know, call who who merge faith and country, that there's hardly any biblical justification or theological justification for the Revolutionary War. Uh, so the, and again, I, that doesn't mean you know. Again, I mean, it's just to me another example of how politics and money uh, almost always circumvent faith. Now, the rank and file, so- yeah, the, yeah. the rank and file soldier in the Revolutionary War. There were a lot of the Scotch Irish Presbyterians. Were, were a lot of rank and file people who um, saw it as a righteous cause, something that people often don't understand too was that there was a lot of anti-Catholicism paranoia that fed into um, the revolutionary fervor, which makes no sense because the Church of England is a Protestant denomination, but you read sermons um, of the time period and in their imagination they had merged 
high church. Well, it's not even high church under King George, but they 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 merged Anglicanism with Roman Catholicism. So somehow, the King George and the Church of England had taken over the terror of the Pope and Catholicism that was present during the French and Indian War. It's it's a fascinating the irrationality. It, well, in some ways, it's comforting that the founding. Well, not so much the you know not Madison and Jefferson and Washington and Adams, but everybody who around them was as irrational in 1776 as they are in 2021. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> don't don't let facts get in the way of my my yeah fervor. yeah no no and, and you and you know I think one of the interesting things that in my thought experiment was well slavery probably would have ended sooner. Well, if we're in that, it ended. It it, it, it was banned. Yeah. I mean, slave slave trading. I think was banned in like 1808 in the empire, and then by 1837 or eight, it's banned altogether. Right. Like like they stopped trading, but then slaves are kind of emancipated. I think in 1838. So yeah. But then but then the on the other end, right? You think okay, so let's do another thought right. experiment. This is this is the sort of Dan Carlin. You you and I are being amateur Dan Carlins here, right? Like. But let's imagine um, the great, uh, of course, um, host of Hardcore History. Um, but let's imagine another situation in which we stay with the crown, okay? And then when, when slaves are emancipated in the 1830s, the southern states secede anyway. And we just wind up with another civil war where, where it's England versus the southern state. It's, it's the British loyalists versus the southern states. Or, or let's hear, here, let me, let me extend this thought experiment. So... Uh, the southern colonies are still colonies with the invention of the cotton gin. Suddenly, there is another. There's a huge. Right, right. There's a huge financial impetus not to do away of the slave trade. So, could that have tilted the balance? I mean, it, in spite of you know, in spite of everything. I mean, Wilberforce, for instance, um, a great a great character you should know about, William Wilberforce. Yeah, wasted. I mean, he spent his life and his fortune and his health. You know, fighting slavery, but if there was a finan- if there was if if the Southern states were still part of the British Empire, would that have been enough to pre- yeah you know, would that have been enough to prevent the reform? I don't know. That's an interesting question. Interesting thing to think about. A couple of different ways. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great it's a and, and the other thing. So you you as you play this thought experiment too, you think about well, like let's say we had stayed in uh, under the crown. We would have been obligated to go into World War One and World War Two early, nineteen fourteen. Well, yeah. And would those wars have ended? Or, well, I guess the question earlier. Well, the because, question you know, would, we, if, we, we if took our time to get into Adolf wars. Hitler, and the United States is part of the British Commonwealth. Do you do you um, do you do you do you attack do you attack England in nineteen forty? Does the Battle of Britain happen? Because there's this. I mean, did that told I mean, that changes. There's a lot of things that that changes. Yeah, because we would have still probably become a pretty. I mean, we would have we would have had all the size and natural resources and population. And, well, and just we, what we, we could would produce, have been probably right? the now, real strong really, end. It, it would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. would happen? I mean, 1914. Now, again, I think, I mean, you have to remember where America was in 1914. Um, but that makes that whole thing look very different, too, just because. Um, but we also forget, I mean, at that point, with the kind of, 
that's you know I'm, I mean the, the British Empire was a, was was stronger than we were in 1914 um, the French army in 1914 may have been the best army one of the best land armies in the world other I mean the German was better but I mean they lost so many people they lost so much of so much army of their forces in 1914. Uh, in 1915, so yeah, that's that's a very that's a, that's a fascinating. Well, would we we've been in the Crimean, we would have been in all kinds of goofy stuff in the 19th century. <laughs> now the other thing is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, 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 we would have. And would that have been for good or for ill? You know, I mean, this, yeah, I these, this is the interesting thing about the thought experiment, right? Right, right. Well, yeah, that's that's a really interesting thing. So uh, you know, I, I do think. Um, you know, there's been I, I I don't like, for instance, I don't like the American flag in the sanctuary. Uh, when I was at media, there was this constant uh, constant battle. I would move it, and it kept getting moved back. You know, because you know, it's a, it, so there was this constant thing. I part of me has just gotten to the point where there's so many. I mean, I feel like most of our church, a lot of the churches I'm working at, it's just triage. I mean, we're you know, so that's not. I'm not going to waste any blood on that one, but. I think what's interesting about this thought experiment is that the things we treat as inevitable and the things that become part of the national myth. Um, what equally, what if, what if, what if um, France had not intervened on behalf of the United States or the, or the, uh, right. Then, then we would have lost the war. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, so that's another interesting one. What would have happened to if, if now again, if we had lost the war, it would have depended on on what, I mean, what Britain would have done in the aftermath. Because let's remember, I mean, we, have, I mean, you and I both are probably have very. I mean, we both we have positive. We certainly have great positive feelings about Canada and certainly about uh, Great Britain in many ways. But you know, we're not we're not from China or India. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. The, the other thing that my friend Royfield brought up in this room was he said, you know. What what actually did happen too after the Revolutionary War is England learned its lesson. The Crown lost learned its lesson and was much more deferential. Right. When when other powers were like, we want more local rule. I mean, they 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 learned something from the Revolution and became a lot more deferential. Um, right. I, I think to to having to lat- latitude for local um, demand. Yeah. Unless you are of, unless you were. Um, I'm sure there's, I think there's probably some Africans and, and Indian historians who would take issue with that, but, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but no, but, but I mean, no, I agree. The, yeah, really. Right. I'm going to say, like, let's say, let's say the crown wins the war, mm-hmm. you know, is the lesson you learn, let's be heavy handed, right? Like, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's put down these things yeah. with, with, vociferous responses as opposed to a little more cautious approach like wow we learned a real lesson when this lesser power these lesser you know the 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 colonists beat you know the greatest fighting force i mean at the time right in the 18th century i mean no no the british army is uncontested i mean it's it's well at least certainly the navy is and at that point it is because they they beat the french in the in the seven-year war uh, I just listened to the Battle of Quebec was a fascinating thing. Um, um, and by the way, you know that that scene in the Patriot where they burn the people and they burn the colonists in the church, 
Remember, you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That actually happened. Yeah. That happened. That it didn't happen. I don't think it happened in South Carolina, but it did happen during the siege of Quebec. The British burned um, people um, who had sought uh, refuge in the Catholic Church. They they burned it down. So, um, so yeah, that did happen. Just wrong war. Um, yeah, I think that's really. I think that's really it. It's an interesting thing to think about, uh, and just also, I, I just think. I don't, you know, I don't know where this whole thing's going, our country, but to, but to, to kind of have a, uh, it's, it's hilarious. It's interesting to me and it's not hilarious. It's actually unnerving to have amateurs arguing about the kind of, you know, whether it be critical race theory or talk, you know, people who have no, who don't really understand our history at all arguing about how history should be done. And, and I actually, I don't automatically come on the side of people who want there to be a certain ideological approach to history. I mean, every history has right, that. Right, right, right. But I just think we should know the story, but you know, and know it from multiple, multiple angles. I mean, I think we need to understand the Native American perspective. We need to understand the African American perspective. Uh, you know, hardly anyone thinks about. I mean, people don't think about California and Mex and Texas having been you know, Spanish for centuries. Uh, and that, you know, and, and so when they talk about people cross, well, well, that's, that's crossing the, other the border, thing that that's always up, fascinating, yeah. That's the other thing that came up in this conversation. Had we not fought the Revolutionary War, would the United States, well, well certainly we wouldn't have a United, the United States, but would, would what we think of as the United States of America now been several different countries. Oh yeah, that, um, yeah, that could have been. That could. Yeah. So, so I mean, in the Southwest probably would have been Mexican, right? Like Mexico could have. Um, well, that's, you know, yeah, that's it, interesting. You, 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 we, you probably would have. You, you might have had some French influence. You know, you might have had the middle. The, the Louisiana areas might have been. May not been per- well, the other an extension of France. Be, well, but the, we'd have had American. There have been American colonial troops fighting Napoleon on the continent. So that that would right. that would have been an interesting thing as well. So I, it, there's it is a fascinating thing to think about, uh, and also to, um, uh, for me the the theological question is always an interesting one, uh, particularly in light of this idea of how your average Christian's country has so merged their nationalism with their faith that, and and I don't know that that's different from any other age, to be honest with you. I mean, I think that's always been. Uh, and it's not a Constantinian problem. I mean, I can just hear Fitch just yelling about Constantine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want to smack him when he does. Our that. friend, friend of the show, friend of the show. I don't think he's a friend of our show. I think I think he's in his own world. I think he only listens. Well, we've had him on. We yeah, have, but him. I think he only listens. We've had he only on. listens to our show, and either when he's on or he knows that we've mentioned his name. <laughs> Well, yeah, this is this is uh, unlike our friends from Crackers and Grape Juice who are listening all the time right now. Oh, by the way, we should say, we should by this we should end this with saying that we're going to be doing a new venture with our with yeah yeah we're going to be doing a it, it, go ahead you you're the one that's, you're on the front line you're the negotiating with, with, this with, with two Episcopalian priests um, uh, um, who are fans of our show uh, and uh, you know we're fans of their anyway, show so we're thinking. You just, and we're fans of their show. You, just, as well. you were just on. So it. we might do a joint podcast called The Green Room. Right. <laughs> where we go on together. So we might be starting a podcast with this will be a real ecumenical venture um, with um, with some friends and fans of the show. And so, um, you know, this is this is uh, like Bill Murray says in Ghostbusters no job is too big, no fee is too big. 
um, you know, we, uh, so it's fun. I mean, yeah, it's, it's no, fun. I, that, I think it is. Well, and also the fact is that given that latest survey, with this podcast, we are squarely standing with the thirteen percent of Christians. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. There That's we, exactly there where we, we fall. We, we fall. We are. We always know which side to pick. All right. Well, well, it has been an interesting adventure, though. All the people we have met through the podcast, and people that have become our friends, and that we dialogue with, and have interesting conversations with, and and other sort of. Uh, just encounters. It's just very interesting because when we started this, this is years ago, right? Now we're, we're coming up to our 300th episode, um, which the average podcast, by the way, never makes it past six months. Um, they just die, um, usually uh, less in less than six months. So we have kind of kept this thing going. And I, we ha- I had no idea the kind of um, conversations we'd have or the kind of people we would wind up being in dialogue with. It's just fascinating. I think we're suffering from the internet. We are suffering from the internet. You know, I I was thinking about it because I couldn't hear what you said, but it it was like, I was, I was smiling and agreeing with everything you said, even though I couldn't hear it. (laughs) Absolutely. I I was, yeah. That's part of our, no, I was just, I was just, I was just saying that, like, I we had never imagined we would have all these connections with people from all over the world um, through, like, when we first bought that Yeti microphone, yeah, and sat down in my basement or whatever. I did, you know, I remember that like it was yesterday, and we like we had no idea what we we're doing, um, but I think, and yeah, it, but it was fun. I mean, it was fun, and I think one, first of all, I think, and I said one of the reasons I'm glad we're doing this again is just it helps me think. The other thing is. It reminds, I, I, I do think, you know, and here we'll end with this kind of, in spite of our inher- incredible uh, pessimism about the future of America and American Christianity, there's also, uh, <laughs> at least myself. By the, by the way, does Stephen Rose still have that, does Stephen Rose still have that cabin up there for us or no? I don't know. We have, to, we have to double check that. about that. But I, uh, I think the idea that we are, uh, there's so many amazing people out there. And I think sometimes as there's so many fascinating Christians who maybe who are different than us, but still seeking truth, still uh, saying their prayers and trying to make a difference in this world. And uh, anyway, my mind and my world is expanded by this and by the relationships we make. And so I, I'm glad we're back at it as we make our uh, pilgrimage to 300. So um, I look forward to that. So I love it. Thank you for your patience and my bad internet. And I did survive the, uh, the apocalyptic storm up here in the mountains. So um, everybody take care and uh, Scott be well. All right. God bless. God bless. How about that episode of new persuasive words? Thanks so much for joining Scott and Bill. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and will join us next time. Till then, thanks for listening and God bless.